the science behind this. I'll leave that in case there's, if, if you want to uh, ask further questions. But I'm going to try and focus on how you would use this information. You know, what is this information and how is it not only different, but how is it better and how is it more challenging? So I'm going to try and get into that. Boy, this thing is very, very tricky. As, uh, as Chris said, what we've done is we involved a number of people that would actually be using this information, who have used the information in the past. And we said to them, we want to understand what information you need to better inform your decisions. I often talk about UKCP09 not as output, but as input. If you ignore the fact that it is, it is output, it is really providing input to decisions. And that's how we have to look at it. So what information did people need in order to better inform those decisions? And as, we, as Chris mentioned, one of the first things they said is, is that we don't like the number 42. They didn't say that, but they just didn't want that one number. It didn't tell them anything. And if you create, an, uh, uh, if you make a decision based on a number, a single number, that decision is very, very brittle. And it can break if that number is not right, especially if that number is around one of your thresholds. So they wanted more information on uncertainty. And this is what we've given them. We've given them this, as Chris talked about, is probabilistic distributions that are based on the, the strength of evidence, of the evidence considered in this, in this modeling exercise, in this statistical analysis exercise. So it's, con it's considered, and you can look at it as a PDF, as Chris talk showed you, but also look at cumulative distribution function. And look at it and see how much, what that is saying. This one here, most people know statistics and probably much better than I do, but this essentially is the area under this curve. So you can look at it that way. So more on uncertainty, so that they can make those decisions more robust instead of making them brittle. The other thing they were after is greater resolution, both spatial and temporal. And what we've done is, 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 is that we've started at a 25-kilometer grid. This is a 25-kilometer grid covering all of the land surfaces in the UK, including the Channel Islands in the Isle of Man and up into the uh, Scottish Islands in the north. But it, it is, we all recognize that there's differences in the uncertainty that can be, or should say, the confidence that is in the information that is provided. We are fairly confident about things at a, a continental scale. We're getting down to this 25 kilometer scale, and what they are is they're very indicative of the climate change at the larger scale. We can now see some of the highlands. We can see some of the lakes. Sorry. We can see the lakes. We can see the islands. We can actually see some of this information, which makes it much more relevant to those making decisions. What we also decided to do is, is to provide it in, in, because of the nature of it, it's very difficult to aggregate this information yourself. So what we had to do is to uh, provide information at aggregated levels. And what we have here is the, the nine administrative regions of, the, of England. We have the devolved administration of Northern Ireland and Wales. And we've divided uh, Scotland into three regions. And this information is available at this level. Some people suggested we should do this at constituencies. It didn't quite get done that way, but this is where we ended up. We felt this was very interesting. Plus, you have, as you can see, the Isle of Man and the Channel Islands. But because of a lot of use of this information in the water, 
We also provided the information in water framework directive like river basins. They're not all exactly like that. And, but that's what we provided them as well, and we aggregated. <coughs> uh, what, temporarily, what we had done before is, is that we had three uh, uh, sequential 30-year time, time periods. And what we've done now is we actually have them overlapping. We have the baseline period, which is 30-year averages for that, uh, for 61 to 90. And then progressively, 30-year uh, periods uh, at 10 years increments. So it's a lot more information you can actually look at and try and understand what is happening with the climate. How is it evolving? How is that change occurring? A lot more information. So that was the temporal resolution, the spatial resolution, and more uncertainty. And then we've tried to keep basically the same type of variables as we had before. You will find when you go in that some of them have had to disappear because of the methodology at the, this time of release. One of the ones that's disappeared that we had before was wind. And that's because of the problems doing modeling wind and giving you anything more than a distribution that was just flat and sort of went off into almost eternity at either end. It was very difficult, very poor quality information. We are looking at how better to do that, and we hope to have that updated in the new release. This is the type of information you will give. And what I, I know this is a busy slide, as was the previous one. But this is the way you should look at this information. You do not look at a single map. Don't just look at a single map. Don't just look at a PDF or a CDF. Don't just look at that. You look at them together because you want to get a, an understanding of what the information is telling you. Now, what I've done here is that I've started out by saying we have mean daily maximum temperature changes for the summer by the 2080s under the medium emissions scenario. So you have to get in your mind what you're looking at. Now, I just picked this as an example, no, no particular reason. This happens to be for Northern Ireland. So I went in and I put, looked at the Northern Ireland administrative region, and I pulled the information together. That's those ones over there. And I've just shown you what it looks like at a, at a UK-wide scale. And what you have here is, is that, as Chris was showing you, he showed you the sort of very unlikely less, you know, very unlikely to be less than, very unlikely to be greater than, and then the central estimate. And that's a minimum we're suggesting. There's nothing magical about 10, 50, and 90. Nothing. We just, it just give you an appreciation of the range. And you can look here, and this is degrees Celsius. And you can see the types of changes at one degree Celsius increments. And you can start to pick out patterns that are occurring. And you should, when you interpret these maps, this is the spatial pattern that you see at that probability level. And this is the spatial pattern you see at that probability level. And this is the pattern at this probability level. This information is available in the, some of the publications. Yeah, some of this information is available in publications. All of it is available online. You can go in and you can examine this information. But again, look at three. So you're getting a spatial configuration. And if you're looking at uh, Northern Ireland here, you can see that we're looking in the probably the 0 to 1 degrees. At the ten, so it's unlikely to be less than that one degrees. We're on, you're starting to see that the central estimate is probably sitting around in this, if I'm reading this right, the colors sometimes get deteriorated, uh, uh, affected here. You're seeing the three to four. And then if, at the 90%, so it's not very unlikely to be greater than, we're looking at the seven to eight. And we well, can see this is the statement up here. Under the medium emission scenario, the central estimate of increase in summer mean daily maximum temperature 
is about 3.9 degrees Celsius. So that's where we're saying the central estimate is in that area. It's very unlikely to be less than 1.5. So this is the 1 to 2. I guess that this is what that color was supposed to be. And it's very unlikely to be more than 7. So it's very unlikely to be more in, than this degree here. However, if, the, if I was to look at all of the emission scenarios and all the probability levels, I would see that it actually goes from 0 0.9 to 8.5. That's the wider range from 10 to 90, all of the emission scenarios. So it's giving you an appreciation. You're starting to look at that. You're starting to get an understanding of it. And if you look at the, look at the PDF you can see, or the CDF, you can see how that is going and how those values can be taken off there. But you're seeing the relative shape of the distribution rather than just these points as you got up in the other one. And then what this plume plot does is, is it looks at the probability levels. So this, is, this one here is the 10% probability level. And you can see how it evolves over time. And you can see how it spreads out and how, how, how it actually, when you would want to maybe point out or pay particular attention to something. Is the 2080 something you want? But maybe your, your critical factors are down in this, in this part of the, uh, of, of the uh, plume plot, this part of the century. So you can start to see and understand how it's playing out. This gets even a little bit more interesting when you start to think, oh, wow, yeah, that's temperature. But what else is happening with precipitation, for example? So you have our curve up here. Oh, sorry. I'll get this right. You have, this is the map from the previous one. It should be the exact same one. And then what I've done is I've just to show you what you can and should be able to do is this is just Northern Ireland. And I pulled off the precipitation. So you can have just Northern Ireland. And look at this. And this is the 25 kilometer grid squares. And you can see how the precipitation changes. And again, always three. No more or less, no less than three. And this is, again, the medium emission scenario. 2080s, summer. But the other thing is, is that you can also look at, well, how are temperature and precipitation playing out together? Because, you know, you may, you may say, oh, geez, you know, what I'll do is I'll make sure I, you know, 90% probability level for temperature and 90% probability for, temp for precipitation. That's a worst case. That's what I'll do. Well, if you did that, you'll find out there's, not, there's no, no information up there. Because it's very unlikely, or almost based on the evidence we've considered, it's very, very unlikely that there's any, any projections in that area. So what you want to do is you want to look at, for example, where in this curve you can get the bulk of the information. And there's a substantial information to assure that your, your, your assessment will, con will uh, be robust under the, the possible conditions. So joint probability is a very interesting thing. And you can do this for maximum, minimum temperature, two variables, any two variables that you want. And you can look at this and try and understand them. But it's those, those that you want to use for assessing your particular vulnerability. This is what we're all aiming for. And this is, I've, I've just picked up on here, uh, for example, is the UK SIP risk management framework. And how would you use this information? And I could spend an hour or two on this, but I can't do that today. But what you want to do is, is you want to get away from this idea of this brittle, optimal, single best guess uh, uh, strategy and start to get into something that's more robust. And what we always look at is, is that you have two possible inputs. When you're trying to identify your problem 
and objectives is, is that you need to understand what the current situation is. How, what is your adaptation deficit right now? What is the current problems that you're experiencing right now? And so you look at the observational data. Observations, UKCP 09 has, a, and should say, will have, within hopefully the next week, maybe two weeks, have a brand new observational data set that's been updated, that is, that is very, uh, has a lot more information in it, in, in it. We have daily maximum minimum temperature. We still couldn't get the, max, the daily precip in there. But we've got metrics associated with the, that have been calculated based on the daily precipitation. It's got all the other monthly values and annual values, et cetera, that are, that are in that, and updated. So it's very useful for trying. And it goes up to, I think, I think the new one is up to 2007, but some of them are up to 2008. And some of them are only up to 2006. It's where the Met Office is in putting this together. And that's available, like all the other stuff, free of charge and on the, on the website. But what, it, what you can do is, is that you want to assess, identify your problems based on the observations and where you are currently, but also looking at the projections and saying, for example, in Oxfordshire, there's a, little, there's a lot of concern over, and you've seen some of this right through the Midlands right during this period here, is this concern over melting roads. And Oxfordshire has a very good understanding of the temperature at which roads start to melt, and they need to send out the gritters. So if you know where those temperature thresholds are, you can look at it and say, OK, we're experiencing that one to two days, or on average, three days a, a year. Uh, so that becomes very interesting. And then you can see where, by using some of the plume pots and some of the other information, the maps, you can start to see where is that going to be a problem, and is it going to be a problem in the 2040s, 2020s, 2080s, or whatever. I heard a very interesting thing on Radio 4 that about two weeks ago. And there was a gentleman there from the wine producing uh, organization in, in, in the UK here. And he was saying that for him, 32 degrees Celsius, the number of days of 32 degrees Celsius, is an indication of where you can grow grapes and for wine. And he says, up until about 30 years ago, we had maybe one or two on average. Right now, we're sitting at six to eight. He was in southern, very, a little bit further south than we are, in, uh, in England here. We're up to six to eight. 30 to 40 years ago, that's what Bordeaux had. You know, and he was saying, the projections are suggesting that potentially, by the end of the century, there is a likelihood, I should say, there is a likelihood that we may not be able to grow wine, for our grapes for wine, in the very southern parts of England. So it's really starting to understand your thresholds and looking for what you want to do. And then you can see the other parts of this. You go through, you establish your decision-making criteria. What, what, what do you want to achieve? And that you know your system. You know, uh, you have an ideas of the projections of socioeconomic, et cetera. You assess the risk by using both the current and, and the observations, should say, and the projections. And you go through this, and you identify options. You appraise those options, again, using the information, as well as the socioeconomic. And you go through this cycle. This is how you use this information. We have a lot of support. Because, it, as Chris said, and as I've tried to get across to you, this is a little bit more complex. If you try to use this like deterministic information, you're going to run afoul. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to, again, go after that brittle situation. And, and, and you, so you really need to understand. It's much more complex, but I think it's be much more rewarding as you go through this. So what we have is we produced user guidance. 
And we have, do it again, wrong button. And what we have is, is we have getting started. This is to help choose the data source, the product that you need. We have data sources. We explain what they are. We talk about how they can be used, what they're telling you. We also have the products that are there. And again, what are they? How can they be used? We have some examples of how it should be used. But also, we've got some ways that you should not be using it. And there is not a best practice, a single. This is the best way of doing it. You should all be doing this. Whatever you're doing, it will require and will suggest ways that you need to use this information. We've got some FAQs, and we've got some glossary material. Okay? This is how we've structured UKCP09. You should only use as complicated an information, information as you have to. Keep it simple, as simple as possible. Everybody doesn't know, need to go to the terabytes of information right at the start. Let's look at what you need. And if you look at some of those, those maps I showed earlier in that process, It'll help you identify. You can, some people, that's all they need. Maybe doing a presentation, putting a research, some, something together for a, a research proposal. You may be doing other things, maybe trying to communicate this to some of your colleagues. And that may be all you need. You don't go to, need to go right into the terabytes of information. So we have this at various levels. We have key findings, and those were the words in that previous file, or the slide that I showed you. These are there, the key findings, the, you know, there's those types of information. There's published material, and these are all the reports. I see some of you have the briefing report, and you have the CDs. Those are there. Those are there for you to use. They're actually on the website. Those CDs uh, will probably, we think, be valid for about a year at the maximum. And then we'll be updating things and getting new information, new functionality. The, the basic projections will stay the same, but the way you can use them and the information that will be there to support you could change. There's also prepared maps and graph. You don't need to go into and the, the very sophisticated and try and figure out what, how am I going to construct this to give me the information I need. There's some examples right up in front of you that you can use and pull off and then customize them if you wish to. And of course, there's the user guidance. But there's also this customizable outputs. And this is what is available through the user interface. And you'll see a little bit of that with Pete. Is that right, Pete? Yeah, you'll see a little bit of that with Pete later this afternoon. And that has probabilistic projections. This is the 25-kilometer information. Maps, probability and, uh, and cumulative, probability density functions and, and cumulative distribution functions. Plume plots, all the data, the terabytes of information. You hear more about those. But also has this supportive analytical tool, which is the weather generator. Some people need information, and they want to understand what are plausible climates at those smaller scales, temporal and spatial scales. What are plausible things that they can use to analyze and to, to develop uh, assessments and, uh, and adaptation options? Marine and coastal projections, as Chris said, that's something people wanted. And this is the first time that this has been made available at this type of, uh, this type of information. It's about eight to 10 years behind all the other information because it's the first time it's been done. And there's not a lot of probabilistic information in there. But this will evolve as we better understand and improve the modeling capabilities. There's the user interface I just talked about, but there's also a manual that provides guidance on how you can build your request and how you can use that. And they're both integrated within the UK CP09 website, and perhaps you navigate those things. Big thing, I would really stress that you look at these worked examples. We're really interested, as Chris said, in learning from people 
And all the worked examples we have now have been developed based on dummy information. They're thought exercises because the data has not been available. So there are thought, a lot number of people have thought about how they would use it, and we're now going back to those people and trying to identify how they would, how, how they are using it now, and those will evolve with time. Inappropriate uses, as I talked about, I did it again. Inappropriate uses, that's based on our understanding of the limitations. But even in the last couple of weeks, I've talked to some people, and they said, I tried to do this. Oh, you shouldn't have done that. Never thought anyone would ever do that. You know, so we're learning some of those. And then I've also talked to someone else, and he did something. And, and uh, I thought, hey, I hadn't thought of doing that. That would be good. I think we can use that. We're going to develop more. So inappropriate and the other appropriate uses are going to be expand. And these will evolve with time. We're going to continue to support users. As you go on to the, the user interface and you're actually accessing the information and you run into a problem or you find something and you don't quite understand it or it's not exactly what you thought it was, there's an imp a, a capability to submit an information request to the help desk. This is helping both you. This will help both you and us because as we un understand what people are trying to do with it, we'll better understand how we can provide better information for them but also how we will involve, help evolve the functionality of these. You're going to hear more about the projections in practice. This is uh, basically in the latter part of the summer and in the autumn. 2009, there will be familiarization workshops, and we'll get people actually getting some hands-on and getting dirty with it. Um, so that'll be helpful. There'll be some e-learning that'll support the, uh, that supports and enhances that uh, uh, projections in practice program, but also some on other online resources. And that's it.